Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. Each week we have many that join up with us in that way. We're grateful for each and every one of you. Also, the venue service right down the hall and uh, Reach Church DeSoto. Grateful for all of you this morning. Well, when we left off in chapter 20, the circumstances were pretty bleak. Uh, things have not turned out, I'm sure, as David had hoped. The smooth transition between him and King Saul is not happening. He has now been pushed out of the nation. He has absolutely nothing. Uh, he can't go back to his wife, can't go back to Jonathan, can't go back to Samuel. He's been cut off from the nation. He is now fugitive. He is on the run. And uh, every day, he probably feels like he's a breath away from death. Jonathan has gone back. David is now in exile. It'll be kind of David's wilderness experience. And in this wilderness, we're going to see a couple of things. Number one, we're going to be reminded that David's a flawed sinner just like us. We've been talking a lot about how David is the type of Christ, and we see a lot of those in the Old Testament. One of my favorites is Isaac. Uh, uh, but uh, we see these things in the Old Testament. And they're these men that in some portion of their lives, they, they point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. But very quickly, as we get into chapter 21, we're going to be reminded this morning that David is a flawed man, that he is a type of Christ but he is just a shadow. The substance will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and this, this is a man who ultimately will have to trust in Messiah for salvation, just like all of us. So we're gonna see his flaws, and, and it's an encouragement to me. Uh, I read these stories. In fact, you'll get the end of this. You'll see David drooling on his beard, uh, acting crazy. If you're writing, if you're making up a religion... Uh, you don't include those kinds of stories, uh, especially as it pertains to your national hero. Uh, but we're going to see David as a flawed man. Love that. It encourages me because even David struggled. Even David was a knucklehead and could make some dumb choices. And God was gracious to him and he's gracious to us. We're going to see God leading him all the way, good and bad. But we're also going to see a test. And in this wilderness experience of David, he's going to be tested. Uh, God is in the business of testing our faith. We see this with all the New Testament writers, that our faith is tested. That God purifies our faith. God is going to make David a great man of God. But through that process to get him there, he's going to have to put him in painful situations to Remove the impurities. Just as if you've you got a rock with ore in it, you put it in the fire, and the fire separates the impurities from the gold, and, and you have to pull out the dross and the impurities. Well, well, God is going to put David in many ways into a fire in order to pull out the impurities, to expose his sinfulness and, and weaknesses, and to grow him in his faith so that he'll trust God. But on the way to greatness, there's going to be some painful stories. Can anybody give an amen to that? That along the path, there's some painful, painful moments and painful stories. But God's going to be faithful through it all. But the first area of testing is just going to be in the daily provisions of his life. And uh, I think so often what, it, what we find true of David, we see it in all the great uh, men of faith in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, 
is that oftentimes we don't struggle, the area of struggle is not with the greater things of God, that God is God, we can trust him, we come to him, we trust him with eternal salvation, we trust, his him, trust in him as a holy, sovereign father. We, 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 we really don't struggle in those things. What, what oftentimes is what, what, what trips us up is the daily provisions of life. In other words, we, we read our Bible, amen, love this, we pray, and then we go out into the school and we're like, well, I know that God stuff, but I wanna have friends. And all of a sudden, it's just little things that start tripping us up, or we go into the workplace, or we're doing business, and man, I trust God, but then over here, I, I need to do some of these other things to get along, and those things of just daily provision are the things that oftentimes trip us up. Uh, you see this uh, primarily here with David just needing food. I mean, the guy is dead broke. He's got nothing. He just needs something to eat. Um, but this happened with all the greats. Abraham, Abraham called by God to leave Ur the Chaldees. He's, he's given a great promise. You're gonna be a great nation. <laughs> God says, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Can Abraham die? Not until he fulfills God's purposes. But you'll remember what happens, he leaves. He trusts God in a really big area of his life and then the very next thing that happens to Abraham, you read it in Genesis, there's a drought. He ain't got no food. So what does he do? God's gonna test him. Can you trust me, Abraham, just to meet your daily needs? He, sent, he goes down to Egypt, his wife, he's afraid the Egyptians are gonna see his beautiful wife, they're gonna kill him and take her, so what does he do? He lies. Abraham fails the test, God says, it's okay, we'll give you another one, all right? We'll just keep you going. And we see this with uh, the Exodus in, in Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. You remember, they are, there's a picture of salvation, the, the Passover and the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and the angel of death passes over and gives them this great protection and then, and then God leads them out and, and it leads them out of bondage and into the freedom of God and, and they're leaving and then their backs are against the wall with the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and they have a baptism kind of experience and they go out and man, it's all good and great and the first thing they groan about, after God has done all these wonderful things, guess what they're complaining about? Food. God, we can trust you to part a Red Sea and pass over our firstborn, but I'm not sure you can give us bread. God says, I'll just rain down glazed donuts overnight, you know? That's what I think the manna was. That's my own interpretation. <laughs> but God says, I, that's no problem to me. Uh, Elijah, uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, first of all, he calls down fire upon his head, drought on the land, in order to bring the nation back to God. And he goes, he's got nothing. Even the brook that he goes to, uh, goes to dries up. And uh, he's got nothing. What does God do? He brings food by means of what? Ravens. Ravens just start dropping T-bones in front of him. And God says, I'll meet your needs. He, he has the great victory with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Great victory. He sees God moving a powerful way. Then Jezebel's after him. He goes and hides under a juniper tree and says, God, kill me now. I ain't got nothing. I'm all alone. The God who just overcame the prophets of Baal and now he cares. like, I can't even eat. You know what God says to Elijah? Take a nap. You ever say that to your kids? Go to bed. And he goes to sleep and the angel of the Lord wakes him up and guess what is at his head? Fresh, hot, baked bread. And God says, Elijah, just trust me. 
I can meet your needs. You get to the New Testament, Jesus, the greater son of David. David is a shadow. He will fail. We're going to see that this morning. But, but the substance is Jesus Christ. And, and the first area of temptation, you remember, he is baptized, and then he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And he will uh, fast for 40 days and nights. At the end of that, Satan will come to him to test him. And what's the first test? You're hungry, you haven't eaten in 40 days. And you're God, so why don't you just turn these stones into bread? You take matters into your own hands and you provide for yourself. And you remember what Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is perfect, never fails. He trusts in God and his provision. says, I need faithfulness and obedience to God more than I need to live. And when I'm faithful to God, I can trust he'll give me what I need. The disciples... Jesus is teaching them how to do ministry. And there's this big crowd of people, 5,000. They need some food. Jesus says, you feed them. 200 denarii of bread wouldn't, we don't even have it. Ain't no way. Jesus says, bring me what you got. What do they bring? Five, we're gonna see this morning in this text, David's gonna get five loaves. And it's gonna be five loaves of consecrated bread. Jesus takes five loaves, he blesses it, he consecrates it. He feeds the people, and there'll be 12 basketfuls left over. Do you know what he's teaching the disciples? Just obey my commands, and I'll meet your needs. Can we trust God? I mean, you know my favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. You remember George Bailey? He's trying to kill himself because he lost $7,000, and uh, Angel Clarence comes to help him. And uh, they're, they're, they're drying out in the room in the midst of the snowstorm. And uh, Clarence says, I've been sent here to help you. And George says, well, you wouldn't happen to have $7,000 on you, would you? And Clarence says, well, where I'm from, we don't need money. He says, well, it sure does come in handy down here, bub. You ever feel that way? Oh. People say, Jesus is your provision. He will give you, well, I still got to pay the bills. And it gets real, doesn't it? But we just can't trust in God with these higher ideas. We gotta have what I call some shoe leather faith that trusts God even in the little things that there's no division between the secular and the sacred. And that's what David has to learn. You're gonna be great for me, David. You can't just be great in the big things in front of Goliath. You gotta be willing to trust me with daily bread. So that in mind, let's pray together. We'll look at this text. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us so relevant, so practical. God, help us to lay aside anything that's distracting us this morning. Help us to focus on your word. God, don't bless anything I have to say. Bless your word. May your word be illumined this morning by your spirit so that we would know the truths in it. God, the purpose of our time is not to gain in, in information or knowledge. Our goal is life transformation. So God, transform us in our understanding of who you are and who we are and how we live. Change us today by means of your spirit and your word. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen. We'll look at verse one, chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, why are you alone? No one is with you. So he goes to Nob. The tabernacle was in Shiloh. The Philistines have destroyed Shiloh. The tabernacle has been moved to Nob. And so he goes to the tabernacle. I think it was a place where David felt safe. 
Uh, it was a sanctuary. You read the Psalms, read Psalm 27. That was, that was his favorite place to be, was in the house of God. Isn't it good, by the way, to come to church and just be with God's people and to hear God's word David was a man, and we're going to find out as we read on. David was a guy, this was not just some unusual occurrence when things got bad. David often went to the tabernacle. He was a frequent uh, customer, if you want to call it that. He went often, so this was not unusual for him. He shows up at the tabernacle. Ahimelech is there. Ahimelech comes out trembling. What's what's the deal with that? Why is Ahimelech trembling? Well, Ahimelech is trembling probably because his brother is Ahijah and his brother is the personal chaplain to King Saul. And more than likely, Ahijah has told Ahimelech, boy, you gotta be careful, Ahimelech, Ahijah, it gets confusing. But anyway, Ahimelech has probably heard about the strained relationship between David and King Saul. And he is now at a place where he knows it's dangerous to associate with King David or David, God's anointed. That showing public association with God's anointed king and showing loving, loyal kindness to him can get me into a lot of trouble. Does that sound like a day we're living in? To publicly confess Christ and show loyalty to God's anointed king can put you in a bad spot? Well, that, that's where Ahimelech's at. He's unsure of this, and he's like, why are you, why are you alone? That's not normal, where, where's your folks at? And so here's the test. David, can you trust God to meet your needs? Can you just trust God in something simple as bread and protection and a place to sleep? Listen to what David says. Verse two, David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I'm sending you and with which I have commissioned you and I have directed the young men to a certain place. That is called a lie. In fact, it's three lies. There is no secret mission. There is no secret commissioning. There's no sending them in. He has fabricated this story to manipulate the circumstances to provide daily bread in his life. And we look at this, and it causes us to scratch our head a little bit because this is a guy who certainly understands the word of God. He's seen the faithfulness of God, but he finds himself in a difficult place, and he panics, I think. It's a knee-jerk reaction. I just gotta do what I gotta do to get some bread today. And I'm reminded throughout this, listen, when you're in a tight spot, when your back's against the wall, whatever it might be, relationally, in your marriage, vocationally, or in your financial life, when you find yourself in a tight spot, you gotta be very careful about knee-jerk reactions or what you think are very simple solutions to complex problems. And I think if we're not careful, I know of people that have, in the midst of a very difficult spot in their life, made decisions that were totally out of character for that individual. That you would say, I would never think that person would do that. But because they found themselves in a difficult spot, they, ha- they thought that they had to resort to a sinful or immoral activity in order to provide or meet the needs or the solution to the problem. When what they should have done was just trust God. So David lies. Look at verse three. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. I need food. Do you have any bread? And David knows they have. He's come on the Sabbath. He knows that this is the day when they would replace the the bread on the tables. 
Um, so I need some bread. Verse four, the priest answered David and said, there's no ordinary bread on hand, but there's consecrated bread if only the young men have kept themselves from women. So he said, we don't have any just ordinary bread lying around, but we, we have this consecrated bread that we put out each week. And, uh, and what would happen is the priests they would bake bread every uh, Sunday. They'd put fresh bread out on, on the table to remind them of God's provision. They'd put 12 loaves out, 12 tribes, a reminder of God's provision to the people. And when the, week, the next week would come, the priests would get to eat the leftover bread. It was consecrated. The priests were consecrated, and they would eat that bread. So they have it there, and, and Himelech says, we got this bread. Uh, it's leftover bread, but it's consecrated bread. And I can't, you better not partake of this in an unworthy manner. Does that sound a little like a meal we take, where we take some consecrated bread, symbolic of Christ and his death on the cross for our provision of sin? And, uh, and, and what does the Bible tell us? It, it recalls the provision of God in our lives. But before we take that meal, what does Paul tell us to do? Examine yourselves. You make sure you're in a right place before you take this. And Ahimelech's saying, boy, if you guys are gonna get involved in this, and Ahimelech probably assumes these are special forces soldiers, these are some really mean dudes, and they don't tend to be the most moral people. And I would be doing you a disservice if I handed you food and they partake of it in an unworthy manner. Well, look at David's response. David answered in verse five, the priest, and said to him, surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? David is saying, the men who are with me, the men who fight with me, they're not just consecrated and holy on divine missions. They are holy in the everyday, ordinary activities of life. I think this is a powerful picture, especially for our young men today, because it's referring specifically to the area of sexual purity. And what David is saying is that if you wanna participate with me in the military, if these guys wanna run with me, they've gotta be men who commit themselves to sexual purity in the ordinary activities of life. And uh, I just think in a world where our young men are seeking to be sexually pure, and sometimes they can be made fun of and mocked for those things, it's good to hear right, right here we have a man's man. You talk about a man's man, it's man's man's David. And David is saying, listen, I'm gonna be sexually pure, not just when I'm on a special mission, but in the ordinary activities of life. And the guys I hang around with are gonna be the same kind of guys. Those are the kind of people I hang out with. And so David says they are. They're good, they're holy. Verse six, the priest gave him consecrated bread for there was no bread uh, there, but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in his place when it was taken away. So he takes this consecrated bread, he gives it to David. And interesting here, already we're seeing, David is lying and yet God is still providing. Two things really quickly that stood out to me in this. Just because things are going well doesn't mean that every area of your life is pleasing to God. You gotta be very... I wonder if David at least initially thinks, I lied and I got away with it. Maybe God's okay with this. And maybe he's justifying it. Maybe I'm doing it to protect him. Like, I don't know, but he's justifying his sin. And he's saying, well, I got food, so maybe this is okay. Listen, just because God is gracious 
doesn't mean that every area of our life is well-pleasing to him. It's why it's so important every day we go to God and his word and we ask him to reveal sin in our life. But isn't God gracious to David and isn't God gracious to us? Even though sometimes we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, God is still providing, meeting our daily needs. So he gives him the bread. Verse seven, now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. So we're gonna talk more about Doeg next week. But this is an Edomite. He's an enemy of God. He's joined up with the people of God in order to get a job. Uh, in order to, because it was financially uh, beneficial. He's not joining up with the people of God because he believes in God. We, we, we see he has no real heart for God because he's gonna betray. Uh, he's gonna betray the priest. He's gonna betray David. But he will join up with the people of God for earthly success or a job. Saul's gonna hire him because Saul is not really concerned with your spiritual well-being or who you are spiritually. He just needs a good shepherd. So he hires this guy and he brings into their midst a counterfeit uh, Christian, if you want to call it that. And he's going to be a traitor. Does this remind you of anybody in the New Testament that's going to be at a meal and he's going to buy in with Christ because he thinks it's going to lead to an earthly kingdom, but when he starts to hear Jesus talk about death and dying, he says, I'm out on this deal. And he'll betray Christ. And so we're gonna see a Judas right here in Doeg. Look at verse eight. David said to Himeleg, now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's matter was urgent. Again, a lie. That's the thing about lies. Once you tell one, what do you gotta do? You gotta start telling more. You gotta keep covering your tracks and it gets more complicated. Um, then the priest said in verse nine, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Allah, behold, it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there's no other except it here. And David said, there is none like it, give it to me. This is really cool. They take the, the sword that David used to kill Goliath, chop off his head. Um, so remember, that's the instrument of death for Goliath, the enemy. David is gonna take it from him. He's gonna take an instrument of death. He's gonna use it against him to defeat death and then they're gonna take it to the tabernacle as an emblem of God's victory over their enemies. Does that remind you of an emblem within the church that we cherish that was an instrument of death and God used it to overcome death for our benefit and we cherish it and we sing a song about it called that old rugged cross? Isn't that beautiful? In fact, you take a sword and you thrust in the ground, point down, what does it create the symbol of? A cross. And so right here, this emblem uh, of death will become an emblem or, or symbol of God's victory. And now David will take it with him as he seeks to do the Lord's will. Verse 10, then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Now this is unusual to me. It was a point in the story that I just put a big star beside. And I don't know if it ever really hit me this way before because I just, this is the thing about these stories. I've read through the Bible, but just stopping and pausing on every verse and thinking about it. Sometimes you dig a little deeper and there's things that stick out to you. And in this instance, it stuck out to me. Why in the world would he go to Gath? Gath, there is a, a very significant individual from Gath. Who is it? Goliath is from Gath. The national hero of the Philistines who was killed by who? David. You're gonna go to the hometown 
of the national hero of your enemies. I mean, you're just walking right into death. And it's a head scratcher for me. And I know, I, 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 even some of the commentaries, well, this was, he couldn't go home. And uh, maybe he thinks the Philistines will treat him better than Saul would. I don't know, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. But isn't that the way we are sometimes? In the midst of troubling times, isn't it interesting? We can get such messes in our lives that up seems down, down seems up. We don't know where we're at, and we start making all kinds of knuckleheaded decisions. And just because we're oftentimes we're just not thinking clearly. Listen, you find yourself in a difficult spot. Please don't make knee-jerk reactions. Take a breath. Read God's word. Find some clear-headed people around you to give you some wisdom. And David doesn't, he can't, again, he can't go back to Samuel. But I think if he'd have thought for a second, because what is he thinking? Does he think he's going to blend in? I mean, really? David's face had to be on CNN. I mean, it was on every newspaper in the Philistine territory. This is no, in a, enemy number one, persona non grata. This guy is not a friend. If you see him, you kill him. And he walks right into enemy territory. So he goes in. Now, there's a danger here, too. But God kept the people of Israel from the Canaanites. He kept them from the Philistines. He even kept them, you remember, in Egypt. They go into Egypt, and they're going to seclude themselves off. And the Egyptians, God makes the, peop the, the Israelites... When Joseph brings his family, a group of 70, he brings them to Egypt, and they become shepherds, and God corns them off. Why, is, why was it so important that they become shepherds? The Egyptians considered shepherds as the most unclean people in the world. And what was God doing? He was taking his people and just kind of protecting them from, from intermarrying with the Egyptians. So God was always with his people, like, don't... Don't, if you get involved to, with the Canaanites, you'll intermarry, it'll get all goofed up, you'll get off track. The danger here is if David goes and lives with the Philistines and becomes comfortable there, what happens if he takes a Philistine wife? And he starts settling down there. I mean, this whole plan of God could go off track. Does God know this, by the way? Yes, he does. And what you're gonna see here is God He's ordaining every step of this, and God will only let it go so far. And then God is going to step in. You ever do this as a parent? You watch your kids, that's okay, we'll let that go. All right, we'll let that slide. All right, right there, now that's it. Now we're not gonna do that anymore. And God is saying, David, I've let you slide on some things. Now I'm about to take you to the woodshed, and we're gonna teach you a lesson. Because you can't do this, David. You can't go this far. So he thinks maybe he'll blend in. Verse 11, but the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying Saul slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? They immediately recognize him. This guy killed our national hero. Not only that, do you remember when we talked about David and the dowry price for Saul's daughter, Michael? Yeah, you gotta get 100 Philistine foreskins. And David says, I'll double that. 
and he brings two. So there's families out there with somebody missing at the table who were not only killed, but mutilated by King David. Do you remember when we talked about that? That was David not just killing them, but saying, I'm going to totally humiliate you folks. There was no one they hated more than David. And so they're sitting around, I think I know you. And David's going to have one of these moments. Uh, You ever been in something and all of a sudden it hits you and you say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we in trouble. You ever been in a situation where you're going, you know they're saying, going someplace you shouldn't be going with people you shouldn't be going with doing things you shouldn't be doing. And you just find yourself in a situation and all of a sudden, you just kind of going with the flow. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And all of a sudden, you find yourself someplace and the light turns on and you realize, I'm in big trouble. Well, look at the next verse. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. David says, uh-oh, this was a dumb move. I have messed up. You ever been there? You just were in the midst of a situation or circumstance in your life. You were just kind of doing what you felt like was best. You took matters into your own hands. Maybe you did some things that were sinful or not right. And then all of a sudden, the light dawns. And you feel deep conviction in your heart. Peter, you remember, he denied Jesus three times, just as, just as Jesus told him he would. And then there comes a moment in the midst of those trials, Jesus is coming out of a trial, and Peter and, and Jesus lock eyes, and it says of Peter at that moment. What's interesting is Peter just hung around. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. He's betrayed his Savior, but we don't get really any sense that he's got conviction in his heart. But when he locks eyes with Jesus, he runs off and weeps bitterly. And it's so pointed to me because I've been there, and I bet you have too where you were involved, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, God opened your eyes and said, and you were hurt, it pierced your heart, and you wept, and you felt God's hand of discipline. And so here, in fact, I thought of this story this morning, and I had somebody correct me because I couldn't remember the name, but Robert Robinson wrote the, the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And... Uh, he wrote that song, and the song became uh, incredibly popular. But Robert Robinson actually wandered from God. He walked in disobedience, started just wandering from God, not living for God. And one day, this song had become so popular, one day he's on a stagecoach. I thought it was a train. He was on a stagecoach with only one other person. It was a woman. And she's humming his song. And Robert said, you like that song? She said, I love that song. She said, my favorite verse is when it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And that girl said, I'm just like that author. I wander, but God is faithful to pull me back. And Robert Robinson said it pierced him to his heart. 
And he felt the conviction of God, but he also felt the love of God drawing him back. Well, David feels it here. He doesn't know what to do, so look at what he does. It's a humbling thing in verse 13. So he disguised his, his, his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Here's your great king. Acting like a madman with saliva running down his beard. Can God humble you in a second? And God is bringing David low. He's ordaining every aspect of this. God is going to build him up. God is going to make David great, isn't he? But the path to greatness is always filled with a lot of painful stories. Some of you, I love this as I preach these things because I got bobbleheads out there. You're all going like this. And it's comforting to me because I'm thinking, I hope I'm not the only one. But you look back on your life and you see where God has brought you. But you also know that path was filled with a lot of painful moments where you made some bad decisions, maybe just painful trials that you didn't even, you didn't do anything. It just came on you and they're painful. And all the way you knew the grace of God, didn't you? And through every aspect, the good, the bad, the difficult days when you want to throw in the towel like Elijah and say, just kill me now. And God said, take a nap. And God provided our needs and he picked us back up even in the midst of our sin. And he carried us along. I love these stories because sometimes we present the Christian life as, as, if, as if it's all neat and tidy, don't we? <laughs> you know, just this night, you read the Bible and just everything goes well. And No, sometimes you got drool running down your beard. This is life, isn't it? This is real. We come to church, we put on our masks, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Then throughout the week, we're just struggling. That's life, folks. And God leads us along. Well, look at how it ends. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I like madmen that you have brought this one to act, the madman in my presence? So shall this one come into my house? I, I got enough crazy folks. I don't need another one. Get him out of here. What's cool about this is, is David, you, you, we get a chance to see David's prayer journals as he goes through these things. Because guess where they're contained? The Psalms. And we get, I think, I was trying to figure out this week, and I'm not sure, but I think we get at least four Psalms from his time in Gath, which doesn't appear to be that long of a time. But he writes four psalms on his time in Gath. And as I thought about that, you know what? Oftentimes, our longest prayer journal entries are in the Gaths of life, aren't they? Where God draws us close and teaches us more about himself. And if you want to go, you need to go read Psalm 56. You'll get a fuller picture of what David is experiencing here. And you know what's neat about this? He acts insane and he gets out of it. 
And, and basically in Psalm 56, he'll say, God praise you because you got me out of that. I had to act crazy, but God, you ordained it and you got me, you saved me, you rescued me. Any of y'all, boy, you were humbled and you sprawled out like a crazy person due to your own junk, but God used it to get you out and lift you back up. And David will say in that psalm, guess what? I was afraid. I read that this week. and It's just good to hear David got scared. You know, he said, I was afraid, but I trust in you. Listen to me this morning. I don't know what you're going through, what pain, trial, difficulty. What you're afraid of today, my encouragement would be to you, trust in God. He'll lead you through. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be neat and tidy. But trust him. He's in control. Everything that comes into your life is ordained by God for his perfect purposes. And you can trust him. Even when it doesn't feel like it, I promise you, you can trust him. He's a good God. And if you ever doubt his goodness, look to the cross where he sent his son, Jesus. Because some of you can enter a trial to the point that you say, how can God love me if he does this? Well, as Paul will say, if he wouldn't spare his own son, I think he's pretty much settled the issue on whether or not he loves you. And you gotta trust him. David's story, I thought about this this week. It's our story, really, isn't it? It's so comforting to me. Because you think about your life and all the places you've been. (laughs) Our stories contain a lot of painful moments, don't they? But all the way. I I love talking to seasoned saints. After the service, first service was over, Glenn Hevelin sits right up here and he grabbed me. And he said he began to just recount all of these major life events, hard things. He's lost children. Oh, you talk about some tough stuff. You bury your children. You know what he said? He said, in every situation, God was in control and I could trust him. It wasn't easy. It was sometimes painful. But I could trust him. And he's carried me all the way through. I, uh, there's a song, All the Way the Savior Leads Me. I just wanted to give you all the lyrics this morning. Listen to this. This is, uh, it's an old song Tomlin, Chris Tomlin rewrote. All the way the Savior leads me. Who have I to ask beside? How could I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? All the way the Savior leads me, cheers me, Each winding path I tread gives me mercy for every trial. Listen to this. Feeds me with the living bread. You lead me and keep me from falling. You carry me close to your heart. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All the way the Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of his love. 
Oh, the sureness of his promise in the triumphs of his blood. And when my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Father, we thank you for our time together in your word. God, I thank you for your word. God, I'm so grateful that when it comes to living this life, we are not left to our own devices. You've revealed yourself to us in your word so that we can know who you are, we can know who we are, we can know how we are to live and how we're to respond to you. And I'm so grateful you've given us a guide And I'm thankful for the story of David that reminds us of your incredible grace in the midst of all of our flaws and failures, mistakes and trials. You're gracious. Even in your discipline, you're gracious. And so, Lord, I I pray for the one today. Maybe they find themselves in a situation where (laughs) they're heading someplace they shouldn't be going, thinking about doing some things they shouldn't be doing. God, I pray right now, before it's too late and they do some things they'll regret, I pray by your spirit you would convict them and draw them back to yourself. And Lord, for those that that, that have made some mistakes and they're, they're bearing the fruit of those mistakes, God, I pray that just as you've been gracious with us, even in your discipline, you would be gracious with them. Lord, I pray for those that are don't know the joy of just walking with you, the joy of journeying with Jesus. And God, I pray that they would see the beauty of Christ who died on a cross for their sins. They'd see the depth of their sins and they would see that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with you. So God, I pray that they would trust in you, they would trust in Christ and they would know the joy of walking in fellowship with you. To be able to say with us, all the way my Savior leads me. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.